English arbitration gets an upgrade. Silicon Valley brings AI to arbitration. China says, sovereign immunity who? Switzerland stops Sudan's challenge of an arbitral award. And Chile establishes a new emergency arbitrator rule. All this and more on this week's episode of Disputes Digest by Tales of the Tribunal. Before we jump into it this week, we have a special announcement. If you haven't already, mark your calendar for the CAMCCBC Annual Conference. This event is on October 16th and 17th and will take place at the JW Marriott Hotel in Sao Paulo. Tales of the Tribunal, among others, is glad to be an institutional supporter of this year's Congress, and we're certain that it will be an event you won't want to miss, especially if you're active in international arbitration, not just in Brazil, but anywhere in South America or indeed the globe. So mark your calendar now, and we'll attach links in the show notes to make sure that you have all the information that you need. Now let's get into our first story for the week. We start this week in the United Kingdom, and we're talking about English statutory law on arbitration. I know, hold on to your seat. The Arbitration Act of 1996 governs arbitration proceedings in England, Wales, and Northern Ireland. And as the Act celebrates its 25th anniversary, it is an opportune moment to evaluate its relevance and effectiveness, especially given London's esteemed position in the global arbitration arena. In light of this, the UK government authorized the Law Commission to scrutinize the Act. Their objective? To ensure the Act remains contemporary and reinforces the United Kingdom's reputation as a prime location for commercial arbitration. And after releasing two consultation papers in September 2022 and March 2023, the Commission gathered extensive feedback. In the consensus? The act is robust and doesn't require a fundamental overhaul at the root. However, some of the proposed changes include quality of life adjustments and things to improve the act's functionality. Some of these things include codification of an arbitrator's duty of disclosure, strengthening arbitrator immunity around resignation and applications for removal, introduction of a power of summary disposition, a revised framework for challenges under Section 67, a new rule on the governing law of an arbitration agreement, and clarification of court powers in support of arbitral proceedings and in support of emergency arbitrations. The Commission also recommended the following minor corrections. Making appeals available from an application to stay legal proceedings. Simplifying preliminary applications to court on jurisdiction and points of law and clarifying the limits of challenging awards, as well as repealing unused provisions on domestic arbitration agreements. All in all, there are many edits to consider here and a lot to dig into as the commission report has just come out. But among pro-arbitration jurisdictions, the United Kingdom is signaling that these types of changes are what it needs to do in order to be a preeminent marquee venue in the world of international arbitration. So what do you think of the changes? Are they going in the right direction or are they missing the mark? From there, we download across the pond to California and Silicon Valley, where the Silicon Valley Arbitration and Mediation Center, SVAMC, has unveiled draft guidelines on the interpretation of artificial intelligence, AI, in international arbitration, making a significant step in addressing the evolving role of AI in this domain. The rules or guidelines were released on August 31st, 2023, and the guidelines underscore SVAMC's proactive approach to technology shifts and the commitment to shaping the ethical and legal contours of AI application and arbitration. 
Here's some key takeaways. The guidelines serve as a foundational blueprint for seamlessly integrating AI into global arbitration processes, emphasizing principles like transparency, fairness, and accountability. They are divided into four sections, and the guidelines detail both the appropriate and inappropriate uses of AI in arbitration and provide model clauses for procedural orders. Here's some more highlights before we step away. Chapter 1 offers general guidelines applicable to all arbitration stakeholders, touching on understanding AI's capabilities, risk, ensuring confidentiality, and the disclosure and protection of records. Chapter 2 provides protocols for parties and their representatives, emphasizing diligence of AI use and maintaining the integrity of proceedings. And then Chapter 3 outlines guidelines for arbitrations, emphasizing the importance of not delegating decision-making authority to AI and upholding due process. There is also a model proposed clause which suggests referencing the SVAMC AI guidelines in arbitration proceedings, ensuring a standardized approach. Finally, the most important thing to remember, whether you're with the SVAMC or not, is the overall importance of balance. The guidelines highlight the delicate equilibrium between appropriate and inappropriate AI uses in arbitration, and once formalized, they will necessitate the careful AI application leaning towards comprehensive disclosure. In conclusion, SVAMC's draft guidelines are poised to become a pivotal reference in harmonizing AI and arbitration as the relationship between AI innovations and arbitration institutions continue to evolve. Similar regulatory guidelines are expected to emerge globally. Then, let's stay in the regulatory world, but head to the People's Republic of China for some blockbuster news out of the Chinese legal system. The National People's Congress, China's top legislative assembly, recently wrapped up its fifth session. On the agenda, key changes to existing laws. Over 161 members were present, hitting the quorum, and Mr. Zhao Leiji took the lead in the proceedings. January 1, 2024, China's new law on immunity of sovereign states shifts from an absolute to limited state immunity. This means Chinese courts can, in certain scenarios, take on cases with foreign states as defendants. The 23-article law covers jurisdictional immunity, foreign state property release, and introduces the principle of reciprocity. The revised administrative review law aims to bolster administrative control, streamline dispute resolution, and refine the jurisdiction system. The amendments focus on cases involving foreigners aiming to resolve jurisdiction conflicts and align with foreign immunity principles. Then there's even special licenses that are addressed, whereas lawyers from Macau and Hong Kong get the green light to practice in mainland China's greater Bay Area cities. Then there's an extradition pact where China and Ecuador shook hands on a joint extradition agreement and there were key personnel shifts tied to this deal. And the chair's takeaway from all this, the chair emphasized high-quality legislative work, the power of legal safeguards, and the importance of democracy in the legislative process, something that China has often been scrutinized for. And finally, there was a strategic partnership referenced with Benin, where trade ties were initiated with China to boost Benin's imports and encourage Chinese investment into the region. President Xi Jinping signed off on the proceedings, making the session's decisions official. In a nutshell, China's making legislative sides in this judicial system to improve and bolster rule of law, or at least the perception of it as much, across the country. Next, let's hop over to Switzerland, where the Swiss Supreme Court has just handed down a decision in a matter between South Sudan and telecom giant VivaCell. The Swiss Federal Supreme Court has dismissed South Sudan's attempt to challenge a partial award in a whopping 2.7 billion ICC dispute with VivaCell, a Lebanese-owned mobile operator. 
The dispute traces back to a license agreement from the 2000s, allowing VivaCell to operate a telecoms network in what was then an autonomous region in Sudan. The twist, South Sudan became independent in 2011. The core issue, whether South Sudan is bound by the arbitration clause from when it was part of Sudan. The verdict is, apparently yes. The tribunal, which included Jason Fry, found that South Sudan is liable. However, the exact damages are still pending. Taking a look at the post-independence of South Sudan, VivaCell continued its operations in the country, but in 2018, South Sudan suspended its life, demanding a hefty $66 million in fees and taxes. The companies are eyeing nearly $2.7 billion in the ICC case, which includes a cool $1.5 billion in interest since 2021. The Swiss court upheld the arbitration clause transfer to South Sudan, emphasizing that the state's post-independence actions indicated a desire to honor the original contracts. Obviously, there will be more to come in this story as $2.7 billion is quite a hefty amount for any country, but including those um, in the wake of newly found independence. So keep your eye on this and we'll report more as news develops. Then for our final story of today, we stop in South America, to Chile in particular, where a new arbitration rule has come into effect. On August 11th, 2023, the Santiago Chamber of Commerce's Arbitration and Mediation Center, CAM Santiago, unveiled new emergency arbitration EA rules. These rules kick in from September 1st, 2023, so just last week. Why the change? Because before this, anyone needing urgent interim relief before an arbitral tribunal's formation had to knock on the doors of Chilean courts. The new EA rules aim to offer faster and more confidential alternatives to court proceedings. How does it all work? If you need emergency arbitration, you can request it even before starting the main arbitration process. An emergency arbitrator gets appointed within two days of this request, and the arbitrator then has five days after the last evidence submission to decide on the emergency application. The EA rules are in line with the Chilean Civil Procedure Code standards. So if you're seeking emergency relief, you'll need to show a valid reason and a good chance of winning your primary case at the risk of significant harm without emergency measures. There are also some unique features that one should know about. The EA rules allow for ex parte proceedings where not all parties are present if they have a strong reason. This is a bit different from many other international arbitration rules. Plus, even if there are pre-arbitration steps in the agreement, emergency arbitrators can still grant emergency measures. As a matter of enforcement, the form of emergency measures, like order or interim reward, isn't specified in the EA rules. This could lead to a Chilean court deciding on how to enforce the measures, a topic still debated in many places. In conclusion, Cam Santiago's domestic arbitrations are the first in Chile to include emergency arbitration, and it's a sign that Chile is moving towards autonomy in arbitration and reducing court interventions. And that's it for this week. In case you didn't get the memo, we hopefully will have a new episode of TOT for you back next week. If not, we'll be back here with the news. But in the meantime, we appreciate you tuning in for this week. We hope you had a great summer and look forward to bringing you more great content this fall. And like always, please, if you're enjoying the show, enjoy our news feed or anything related to TOT, please share the show with a friend or colleague. Leave us a like, leave us a review. It helps people find the show. And frankly, we're trying to grow this family here, Team TOT. So follow us on LinkedIn. And of course, subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast. And before we get out of here, a big shout out to Team Mo Better Solutions for doing a great job with the audio as always. And thanks for listening. Until next week, this has been Disputes Digest by Tales of the Tribunal. And we'll see you next week.
None of the views shared today or in any episode of Disputes Digest is presented as legal advice nor advice of any kind. No compensation was provided to any organization or party for their inclusion on the show, nor do any of the statements made represent any particular organization, legal position, or viewpoint. All interviewees or organizations included appear on an arm's length basis, and their appearance should not be construed as any bias or preferred affiliation with the host or host's employer. All rights reserved.